Welcome back, everybody, to our lunchtime hour of learning. So today we're going to study the final verse of Parshas Pinchas. It's a very interesting verse because it seems to be superfluous and it seems to be redundant. And within it is encoded an extremely compelling message, especially for our time. Interestingly, Parshas Pinchas concludes with the 29th chapter of the Book of Numbers, of Chomesh Bamidbar. The last verse of the Parsha initiates the 30th chapter. Now that, of course, makes no sense. <laughs> it makes no sense that the last verse of the Torah portion is the beginning of a new chapter, a chapter which, of course, continues into the next Torah portion, which is called Matos. This has a lot to do with the notion that the chapters of the Chumash are not of a Torah origin. And that's a subject for another day. They were primarily made by people who did not speak Hebrew, who did not understand our oral Torah tradition, and based on their very limited and oftentimes skewed understanding of the verses, based on a literal translation, without the oral Torah, they made their decisions. The only reason that our Hebrew Chumash continues to follow that chapter system is that once the Gutenberg Bible was published, um, printed with chapters and verses, at some point people began to make notations or references to chapters and verses, and it became so confusing that we just remained with those original printed chapters, despite the fact that they are wholly out of place oftentimes. And this is one of the greatest examples of it. Now, why did they put it in another chapter? <laughs> like, what's, what is behind this? So in order to appreciate and understand the end of Parshas Pinchas, let's go back to the beginning. The closing of this week's Torah portion opens at the fifth reading. Prior to the fifth reading, we hear about the daughters of Tzalafchad, who demand their portion of the land of Israel. And Moshe Rabbeinu, now hearing that he will not be entering into the land of Israel, is concerned with the future of the Jewish people. So he makes demands of God. He says, I want to I see who my successor is going to be. I want to see that my people will continue to be led with the kind of vision, sensitivity, dedication, and devotion that I expended. And God responds to Moshe Rabbeinu and he says, I understand. I appreciate that you are concerned for the welfare of the people. And that's why you asked me to appoint a leader. A leader who will care for them as you did after you are terrestrially or physically gone. But God says, that doesn't worry me. I'll make sure they have a leader. I'm more concerned about their obedience to me. I'm worried about how they will behave, whether they will provide the things that I need of them, not whether I will provide the things that they need of me. Why is that a concern? Why does that hinge on Moshe Rabbeinu's physical presence? So as the sages explain, up until this point, God said, the Jewish people's devotion may have been inspired by the spiritual charisma of their leader under the force of the Spirit of Moses, seeing Moses, 
knowing Moses, hearing Moses, being inspired by Moses, they've been obedient because of the incredibly devoted leadership and inspiring mandate and mission of Moshe Rabbeinu. But now that Moshe Rabbeinu will no longer terrestrially be with his people, although he will continue to pray with them from on high, as the Zohar tells us, and he will continue even to lead them, ultimately through his successor, but his physical presence will be missing. And so Hashem says, I would ask you now to enjoin them to respect my wishes even after you pass on. And that's how the new chapter begins. That's how chapter 28 begins. By Yedaber Hashem Moshe, God speaks to Moshe and he says, Tzav et Bnei Yisrael, command the Israelites and say to them. And what ensues in the fifth reading is a detail, a litany of the daily offerings. And then the daily offerings move into the Shabbat offerings. And then after we finish hearing about the Shabbat offerings, we hear about Rosh Chodesh and we move into the festivals. The sixth and seventh readings of Parsha Spinchas are devoted entirely to the festivals, which brings us to the end of the Parsha where we began today's class. Vayoymer Moshe el Bnei Yisrael. So Moshe Rabbeinu spoke. He said to the children of Israel, Kechol asher tziva Hashem es Moshe. As per all of the instructions that God had given Moshe. So to recap, Moshe Rabbeinu was worried about the future of the Jewish people. He wanted to be sure that they would have an appropriate leader. God says to Moshe, I am not worried about providing a leader. I'm worried about them no, Lord, being, no longer being loyal to me because they'll be missing the leader they've become used to. Remember, this is a brand new nation. Prior to Yitzhiyam in Mitzrayim, prior to going out of Egypt to the Exodus, we were essentially a family, a very large family, but not really a nation. We are born as a nation under the tutelage of Moshe Rabbeinu when we leave Mitzrayim. And it is Moshe Rabbeinu who carries us. It is Moshe Rabbeinu who not only was there to attend our birth, but it is Moshe Rabbeinu who nourishes and raises us like a doting mother. And he's brought us all the way to the edge of the land of Israel, on the threshold of entering the land of Canaan, establishing for posterity the eternal Jewish homeland. And now Moshe Rabbeinu won't be here anymore. So he's worried. Who is going to guide these people? And God says to Moshe, I'm worried about their dedication to me. You won't be here any longer. Command them. Speak to them about the daily offerings. Very, very important part of our Judaism. So Moshe Rabbeinu told the Jewish people, the Israelites, everything that God had commanded him to say to them. If you think for a moment about this verse, you realize that it should raise eyebrows. Did the Torah have to tell us that Moshe Rabbeinu passed on God's word to the Jewish people? Is that not implicit? Is that not obvious? Self-understood? Moshe Rabbeinu always passed on the word of Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu was the ever-devoted servant. All that God had told him, he passed on to the Jewish people. Vayadaber Hashem el Moshe Lemer, 
is probably the most common verse that we find in the Torah after the Torah starts to be given. God said to Moshe, he said, and this is what you should say. And it's assumed that Moshe Rabbeinu would have told the Jewish people exactly what God told him to say to them. I mean, he's Moshe Rabbeinu. God says he trusts Moshe implicitly. He gave him the keys to the store. He knows that Moshe Rabbeinu did not withhold any information, but rather passed everything on to the Jewish people. So why do we need a verse that tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu, in fact, followed God's instructions? Rashi is bothered by this very notion, this very idea. And therefore, he offers the following commentary as an explanation. Lahafsik ho'inyin. This verse comes to create a buffer, almost a close of the subject matter that we've been hearing about until now, so that we can begin a new chapter, turn the page on the go forward. Divrei Rabbi Yishmael. That was the teaching of the great Tanaic sage, Rabbi Yishmael, who said that this verse, which seems to be out of place, is essentially the buffer. And now Rashi explains the meaning of the need for a buffer verse. I mean, after all, we have many parshiot that end without a buffer. Why is it that this Torah portion requires a special verse containing information that should be self-understood, that seems to bring us no fresh knowledge if all you need is a buffer. Says Rashi, Up until this point in the scripture, what we hear are the words of God. The Torah is, as Nachmanides points out very early in his commentary, written almost as a narration. There's as if a third party narrating, and God spoke to Moses. Although, of course, this is the word of God being recorded by Moses. In Hebrew, we call that shlishi hamedaber, as if there is a third party's voice heard. In English, a narrator. So up until this point, the narration has been almost indic indicative of this conversation between Moses and God, and then oftentimes to Moses and the Jewish people, things they said to him, things he responded to them, and then going back to mitzvot, God speaking to Moses. However, uparashas nedorim, the next Torah portion, which opens with the teaching, the commandments of the vows, matchelet bediburo shomosha. That begins with the speech, that begins with the words of Moses, of Moshe Rabbeinu. So what, what does that mean? I mean, let's uh, turn the page. The next parsha begins not with the words Vayedaba Hashem El Moshe and God spoke to Moses, but rather the next parsha begins with the words Vayedaba Moshe El Roshe Hamatos. And Moshe spoke to the heads of the tribes. In other words, from parshat, parshat Matot onward, we don't have God telling Moses what to do, but rather, it seems as if Moses is speaking to the Jewish people directly. And of course, the entire book of Deuteronomy contains the final sermons of Moshe Rabbeinu, in which Moshe Rabbeinu becomes the point of diffusion for divinity to the Jewish people. 
It's as if God has almost commandeered Moshe. And from that point and onward, Moshe Rabbeinu in his last days, weeks, and hours of his life, he is so close to Hashem that from this point and onward, what Moses speaks essentially is the reverberating voice of God in his, in his mouth, in his throat, or voice box. So since this, this uh, next verse begins, Vayidaber Moshe el Rashi Hamatot, Moshe Rabbeinu speaks to the head of the tribes. And since this is a direct continuation from the fifth reading of the book of, of, of the Parsha of Pinchas, in which it says, Vayidaber Hashem el Moshe Lemur, God spoke to Moshe. So we hear God speaking to Moshe at the beginning of chapter 28. And then the beginning of chapter 30, we hear Moshe speaking to Rashi Hamatot, but we never hear him mention anything about the holidays. So it seems as if the Torah is kind of saying that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't tell the Jewish people what God told him to say, because the verse begins by saying, God said to Moshe, here's what you should tell them. And then in chapter 30, verse two, Moshe is speaking, but Moshe hasn't said a word ever since the beginning of chapter 28. He's been receiving the command of God, but we haven't heard of him passing the word on. In verse 30, in chapter 30, verse, verse 2, Moshe Rabbeinu is now speaking again, but we never heard him telling the Jewish people about the holidays. We only hear him speaking about the festivals. And by and large, when he speaks to the Jewish people about the festivals, he is conveying the words that he heard from God, only not those words that were conveyed to him in the immediate fashion. These are, these are the laws that God had told Moshe Rabbeinu earlier, and Moses now elaborates on them. And because of all this, till here we hear God speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu from the beginning of chapter 28. And the portion of vows, begins Moshe Rabbeinu speaking, as we mentioned. So, we therefore required this buffer. We don't always require a buffer. Here, uniquely, a buffer was required. Velomar, to tell you, Shechazar Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu returned, Va'amar Parash Azuli Yisrael, he conveyed this entire portion to the children of Israel. She'im Leikin, because if we wouldn't have this buffer verse, if we wouldn't have the Torah clearly telling you and me, that Moses conveyed everything to the Jewish people, yesh b'mashma, it seems to intimate, shalei omer lehem. Moses was told to tell us about this, but it doesn't sound like he ever did. El'a b'parashas nedarim, hischel diburei. Moshe Rabbeinu returns or begins to speak again when it comes to the portion, the Torah teachings that address the idea of vows. So we needed to have a verse that serves as a buffer between the verses of offerings and the verses of vows because God initiates the verses that convey the message of the offering. Moses begins to speak about the verses that convey the message of the vows. But there was no, at no point did we hear that Moses actually conveyed the words about the offerings, the commandment about the Beit HaMikdash, holiday services to the Jewish people. And that's the meaning, that's the pshat, that's the understanding of this final verse of the Parsha. Now in view of all this, it's not hard to understand why the monks who were translating the Torah into Latin really were clueless, thrown for a loop. What is this verse doing here? It almost sounded like 
and Moses spoke to the Jewish people. That's the beginning of a new chapter. And what did he say to them? Oh, he spoke to them. He spoke to the heads of the tribe. So it's a bit of a redundant verse, but not a verse that they saw as connected or a continuity of the previous verses that speak about the offerings, the observance of the holidays in the Beit HaMikdash. That's how Rashi explains this final verse. Now, my dear friends, I must tell you that this is not the only time we have such a buffer verse. In fact, precisely such a buffer verse shows up in the midst of Leviticus. And believe it or not, there too, it's at the end of God speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu about the holidays. In Parshat Emor, in the 23rd chapter of the book of Leviticus, we read of the festivals. In verse 44 of that chapter, the Torah gives us a final kind of enjoinder. The Torah says, Vayidaber Moshe et Moadei Hashem Moses told the Israelites about the laws of God's appointed days. Which means that when God spoke to Moses about the holidays, Moses followed by telling the Jewish people about the holidays. So why did you have the question when it comes to Parshas Pinchas? Clearly when it comes to holidays, Moshe Rabbeinu conveys this to the Jewish people. Well, why did the Torah have to tell us that Moshe conveyed those verses to the Jewish people? Was it not obvious that Moses would always tell the Jewish people, the Israelites, what God had told him to say? This question, very interestingly, is discussed by the Sifra. The Sifra, as you might know, is the Sefer, the book of commentary called Medrash Halacha. It's homily and exposition, but for the most part in the frame of law. It's written by our sages, the same sages who compiled the teachings of the Mishnah, which is entirely law. But this is the law as it relates to the particular verses of the Torah, whereas the Mishnah has a different system. It's a system of case halacha. Such is the case, this is what you should do. It doesn't follow the order of the scripture. The Sifra follows the order of the scripture. The Sifra specifically is the teachings of our sages that pertain to the book of Leviticus, as the Maharil or Biak of Mulan points out at the end of his Likutim. So the Sifra explains, why do we have this verse telling us that Moses conveyed to the Jewish people the messages that God had told him to convey? Would that not be obvious? It should be self-understood. Malamed, this teaches us, This teaches us that Moshe Rabbeinu did not only teach the Jewish people about the festivals, when God gave him the commandment to do so. In fact, Moshe Rabbeinu did not only speak about all of the festivals at the time he received those commandments, but Malamidus teaches us that Moses would review the rules and laws of the festivals before each holiday. So on an annual basis, Passover was coming. Moshe Rabbeinu would gather the Jewish people together. And as we read elsewhere, this took place in the 30-day period prior to the festival. And Moshe Rabbeinu would announce, My dear children, Israelite nation, 
Pesach is coming. And Passover must be observed in a very specific way. We need to rid our house of all the leaven. We need to make sure we're going to eat matzah. There's a story that has to be recounted. And so on and so forth. And then, there was 30 days before Shavuot, and Moshe Rabbeinu would remind the Jewish people that we are about to celebrate Shavuot. When we get to the land of Israel, there's going to be a special offering that's going to come along with this, and we are going to be counting now. We have to count up, and you talk about the messages, the motifs, the ideas of celebrating, of observing the holiday of Shavuot, and so on and so forth. And this is the reason that we have to have a kind of a culminating verse not to tell us that Moses conveyed to the Jewish people the messages that God gave him at the time. That's self-understood. But to tell us, to teach us, that Moshe Rabbeinu would review the holidays of the festivals prior to a festival. And you know what, my friends? That's not just something that Moses did. It's something that we rabbis are enjoined to do. In fact, something that all of you Jewish people are encouraged to do to learn Hilchas HaChag B'Chag, to paraphrase the Sifra, to learn about the festival prior to the festival. The Alter Rebbe told us that this means not only laws, but also ideas, the mystical and spiritual teachings. And he says, when you do that, then you affiliate with the festival in a personal way. It becomes your festival. And as the Alter Rebbe explains in Lukot HaTerah, when you learn about the festival before the arrival of the festival, when you identify with those messages and ideas, with the ideals and motifs of the Yom Tif, you anticipate the festival. You observe it with a different level of fervor, of passion, of zeal, of enthusiasm, of joy and commitment. And of course, the festivals, which are celebrated annually, have a year-long effect. Celebrating Passover properly does not only make a difference in the week of Passover, or preoccupy you for days or weeks before. It enriches the entire year. Every year on Pesach, we are uplifted and elevated. We're infused with an energy and a message. The ideas of liberty and breaking free of chametz, harmful and toxic arrogance, which allows us to become open to the messages of Hashem and to live a life which is filled with higher meaning. Every single year on Shavuot, when we celebrate Shavuot, we don't only gain a pound by eating blintzes. We don't only become inspired for a day or two when we celebrate Shavuot, or even for the week-long subsequent festivals, the, the notion of the joy of Shavuot that permeates the week that follows in reflection of the offerings that the Jewish people used to bring at the time of the Temple. But rather, when we celebrate Shavuot properly, the whole year is different. We re-accept the Torah all over again. We reinvigorate our commitment to learn, to study, to absorb the teachings of the Torah. And so it is with the high holidays, and so it is with Sukkot, and even the rabbinic festivals. Uplift and elevate not only the time that we spend observing or celebrating the festival, but all year long. And so you prepare for this. We are mindful of the festival before Yom Tov arrives, hopefully. We celebrate the festival properly. And with God's help, we reap the spiritual bounty in the entire year that follows. Now the Malbim points out something very interesting. He says, okay, so we needed a rejoinder verse 
here in Parshat Emor to tell us that Moses would speak about the festivals regularly. We have a, an, an enjoined verse or a concluding verse also in Parshas Pinchas. But the Malbim says, why is it that in Parshas Emor it says, Vayidaber Moshe. Moshe talked of these things. Whereas in Parshas Pinchas, the Torah doesn't say Vayidaber, it says Vayomer Moshe. Moshe spoke of these things. Why the distinction? Why is it that Vayidaber is Moya de Hashem, but here it's only Vayomer Moshe el Bnei Yisrael? And the Malbim asks a number of other questions. And he has a very interesting way of reconciling this. The Malbim suggests that the notion of Dibur represents an elaborate, exhaustive kind of message. When Moshe Rabbeinu would tell the Jewish people at celebrating the festivals, he didn't simply repeat the words of the scripture. There's an enormous amount of oral tradition that comes along with those scripture words. And so Moses had to convey to the Jewish people the details. Here's what a Seder looks like. Here's how you celebrate the festival called Sukkot. Here's how you make a sukkah. Here's exactly what the Lulav and Esrog should be like and how they should be taken. And so therefore, the Malbim suggests, we need this idea of Vayedaber because these are really about the Hevdelim, the differences between Lashen Dibur and Lashen Amira. Amira, says the Malbim, Mitzayin Haloshen Shabai Omar. It indicates that Moshe Rabbeinu repeated the words that he had heard. He simply spoke the words of God. Without in any way trying to tailor them by adding, elaborating, or maybe making them more concise. But when you use the word talk, you know, like we say, to talk it out. We don't speak it out. Speak it out means just blurt out the words. To talk it out means to discuss it in great, elaborate, and, 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 and detailed fashion. He says, This is Mitzayin Shadiburimahim. This is talking about things. And we talk about it. And then we talk about it some more. And it's elaborated on. And it's clarified. And it's elucidated. And it's explained in the full fashion. It refers to Diber Prate Halachas. Moshe Rabbeinu talking about the minuscule details of the halachic requirement and obligations. Whereas here, Moshe Rabbeinu simply repeated the words that God had told him to convey to the Jewish people about the celebration of the festivals in the Beit HaMikdash. A korban is a korban. An offering is an offering. He didn't have to go into the details. The offerings aren't really intrinsically different. Whether one, one Yom Tev has so many offerings, so many sheep, or so many balaks, and the other Yom Tev has a different amount. So Moshe Rabbeinu simply repeated or conveyed the verses, the messages that God had given them in precise and perfect fashion. The Rebbe takes this much further. He says that if you look at the difference between Parshat Emor and Parshat Pinchas, what comes to light is not only the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu speaks about the festivals in both times, but he speaks about a different element, different dimension of the festivals. As the Malbim points out as well, in Parshas Emor, we hear about the observance of the festivals. 
the way we observe the festivals, the way we observe Pesach, the way we observe Shavuot, the way we, the Jewish people, observe Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and the festival of Sukkot. However, in Parshas Pinchas, we have God speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu about offerings. It's all temple-centric. And so, these two parshiot, whilst they might have been conveyed to Moshe Rabbeinu at similar times, are actually very, very different. The first parsha affects the entire nation. Everybody has to observe Pesach. Everybody's got to celebrate, observe Shavuot, and everybody has to be in that sukkah or using the four kinds, the Lulav and Esrik. We all have to listen to the shofar, and everybody has to fast on Yom Kippur. Parshas Pinchas, however, speaks about things that happen in the Beit HaMikdash. Now, we the Jewish people were commanded and enjoined by God to be there if possible, but we didn't really do anything. We showed up and we watched. Lirais Veleirois, as it's called proverbially, to see and to be seen. Who did the work? The Kohanim. The Kohanim, the priests who had been empowered and endowed with added responsibility, they needed to make sure that the festivals were celebrated in the Beit HaMikdash as, well, Beit HaMikdash festivals should be. And because that's the difference, the Rebbe says it's easy for us to understand that in Parshas, Pinchas, the word Amira, the word spoken is used. Whereas in Parshas Emor, we really need to have a talk about things. In addition to what the Malbim says, the Rebbe says there are two extremely profound differences between the languages of Emor and Dibur. The Rogachev Goren, probably the most outstanding and prodigious Torah mind of the 20th century, in his commentary to Mesechet Makot, in the book called Safnat Paneach, suggests that the word Dibur does not only mean to talk things through, but he suggests that in fact the word Dibur is something which is, let's keep talking about that. When you are Omer, you said your piece, now move on. Or what else do you have to say on the matter? It's something that addresses a very, very timely and pertinent opportunity. You said what had to be said. However, Dibur is something which is nimshach, something which continues. It's like nifsak, it doesn't end. Like we say it in English. Let's keep talking about that. Not, is there anything else you have to say? And now you've spoken your piece? No, let's, let's have a dialogue. Let's continue the conversation. As long as we keep talking, we'll be able to, well, be more effective. We'll be able to stay in touch, communicate, essentially continue to develop this idea. It's an ongoing process. There's a dynamism that comes along with Dibur, with talking. And so the Rebbe suggests that when it comes to the Yamim Tovim, the celebration of the holidays, that's been an ongoing conversation. We keep talking about it. Every year is somewhat different. Every generation is vastly different. And so we're always talking about the festivals. Let's talk about the festivals. Pesach is coming. Shavuot is coming. Now we're looking forward to the high holidays. People are actually very concerned. What will be on the high holidays this year? How will we deal with this under the, the, the cloud of COVID? 
What will high holidays look like? How will Sukkot look? Will we put up a big sukkah? Or maybe that would be pointless because at present it doesn't seem we're allowed to gather together. Maybe a small sukkah will do. We can't have guests this year unless something changes. We don't know. We're talking about it. How will we accommodate everybody for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur? It's probably the number one question I've been asked over the last week and a half. The real truth is, I don't know. But what I am comfortable saying is that we're talking about it. We've had multiple meetings here at Chabad Flamingo. We'll keep talking about it. And I'm sure all rabbis and rabbis around the world, all shul executives are talking about the same thing. How do you accommodate a packed crowd at a time where we can't pack people into a room? So we're talking about it. It's a conversation that's ongoing. And because the nature of observing Yom Tov is something that's constantly changing per se, even though it continues to retain the strictures of halacha in the most, the, the most dedicated way possible, in the most precise way possible, in the most meticulous way possible, we, we all want to follow the halacha. We all want to do the right thing. But there's a conversation. How are we going to do that this year? When it comes to offerings in the Beit HaMikdash, there really was no difference from year to year. In the Beit HaMikdash, they did things exactly the same way. Circumstances and the shifting realities were irrelevant in the Beit HaMikdash. The Beit HaMikdash was always, constantly, functioning in perfect synchronicity with exactly the will of Hashem. It's the paradigm of perfection, where everything happens precisely as God wants it to be. That's why it's the representation of Dir B'tartanim, a world that's perfectly aligned with the will of the Creator. Well, the only place in the world where everything was perfectly aligned all the time with the will of Hashem was the Beit HaMikdash. And so, when it comes to Beit HaMikdash, there's nothing to talk about. This is the way it's going to be. It's the way it was. It's the way it will be. Vayomer Moshe. Moshe conveyed this to the Jewish people. Moshe Rabbeinu said to the Jewish people, here's exactly what Hashem has commanded. And then the Rebbe takes it further. There is a famous Sifri in Parshat Bahalotcha, and that actually follows in the footsteps of another famous teaching of our sages found in the Mechilta. That's the Medrash Halacha that accompanies the first two books of the Torah, Bereshit and Shemot, commonly referred to as Genesis and Exodus. And the Mechilta establishes the notion that Dibur is considered to be Lashain Kosha. You talk, and sometimes you have a tough talk, or there's tough talking. That's the nature of talking. It's sometimes harsh, unforgiving, very direct. Whereas Lashon Amira, the language used when we say, let's speak about this, or what have you to say on the matter, is oftentimes associated with the notion of things that are softly spoken. You don't talk softly, you speak softly. You don't say tough, you talk tough. And so our sages established this principle. Now, many of you may be familiar with this when there's a shifting in language of Moshe Rabbeinu conveying the message before the Torah is being given. And Rashi, using the words of the Mechilta, explains to us that Moshe Rabbeinu was told to speak softly to the women. 
and talk tough when it came to the men. Parshat Baloch also talks about this idea. And so the Rebbe says this too would explain the seeming distinction that we find between the words Vayedaber and the word Vayomer. When it comes to observing the festivals, you know what, my friends? It's not an option. It's not really optional. Should we eat matzah this year or not? It's an absolute obligation. Should we fast on Yom Kippur? Are you kidding? Of course you're going to fast on Yom Kippur. Should we hear the shofar? You have to hear the shofar. These are absolute demands. The only reason for us not to observe a part of the Torah is because, literally, we're worried about saving a life. Pekuach nefesh. When it comes to danger, docha kola Torah. The Torah is cast aside. and We focus on the preservation of life. But otherwise, these are not negotiables. It's got to be done. And you can't really hear the shofar, better or worse. Hearing the shofar is hearing the shofar. Eating matzah is eating matzah. You have to eat a certain amount, in a certain amount of time, at a certain time, or you don't fulfill the mitzvah. It's as simple as that. It doesn't matter if you have the capacity to eat enormous amounts of matzah or can barely get that ounce of matzah down. All of us have the same obligation. It's not negotiable. There's nothing to talk about. It's the way it is. Tough talk. This is what must be done. However, when we speak about the offerings, here there's more of a, a conversation. We don't have a Beit HaMikdash. We haven't had one for over 1950 years. How do we observe the mitzvah of Korbanot in today's day and age? You know, the Arizal says that mitzvot have to be performed on the level of machshava dibur and maisa. There's a thought process attached to the mitzvah, and those are the prayerful devotions which are found in our heart and in our mind and our consciousness. There's the study of Torah. And the study of Torah represents, especially when we're studying about the offerings, doing the best we can. At least we're having the conversation, we're speaking about it. And Hashem considers it, kala osik betorat ola, anybody who speaks of or is engaged in the conversation, the Torah study of the offering, it's as if we bring that offering. The Alter Rebbe says that corresponds to the concept of dibur. So there's the devotion, the proverbial idea of commitment to Hashem, what a korban represents, which occupies the sacred space within our emotional consciousness. That's machshava. There's the dibur, there's reading words or studying about the korban, and then there's the action, and the action has been taken away from us. That action can only take place when we have a Beit HaMikdash. The point, of course, is korbanot in today's day and age, offerings now, let's, let's have the conversation, let's speak about it. Oftentimes, it's all we can do is speak about it. Let's think about it. What did it represent? What should it mean to us? In today's day and age, we come together in shul. We read the Torah. Well, this year on Pesach, we didn't have the opportunity to read the Torah. We couldn't read the Parsha of the Korbanot. We had to read those verses in our own homes. We didn't have that opportunity on Shavuot either. And although we prayed at home, prayer at home, without a quorum, and outside of Hashem's special sanctuary, Ashul, it just isn't the same. We had no choice. So we spoke of the Korbanot. 
We yearned to have the Beit HaMikdash restored, but it's not really the same as eating matzah, which we did nonetheless. Whether you had a crowd or you were alone at the Seder, I hope you ate matzah. You were supposed to. I hope you spoke about the Exodus. That was something you needed to do. You drank your wine. And on Shavuot, you observed the Yom Tov. You didn't violate the holiness of that day. And that, says the Rebbe, is why we have this idea of Vayomer when it comes to Korbanot and Vayidaber when it comes to the hard obligations. And you know, my friends, this lesson, this distinction between things which we can speak about and suggest or things which are really set in stone and obligatory, I think very much dominate the conversations we're having today about coming to Shul and about observing our Yiddishkeit. I really think that if we can, we should be in Shul. Unless you're immunocompromised or elderly, I think you belong in Shul. We get together in a socially distanced fashion. Everybody's wearing masks. We're taking every reasonable precaution. It's certainly not any different than going shopping or other activities that people are engaging in. And despite this, I'm somewhat I'm uncomfortable, demanding of people to come to show because if somebody says they're uncomfortable, I, I guess people are uncomfortable. I have to respect that. So now we're having the conversation. We're in the Amira mode. I'm, I'm speaking softly. I'm encouraging people to come to show if they're comfortable. I'm encouraging people to try and come together in a way that's safe and secure. We have a responsibility to follow the pertinent medical advice, or at least the majority of opinions of medical professionals. No, I don't think we should be playing doctor and proffering conspiracy theories that we might have seen somewhere on the internet. I think that the primary approach of the vast majority of medical professionals is what we're actually obligated to do. We should be taking precautions, but we shouldn't write the notion of coming together, of davening, and studying Torah in some kind of unison off. We have to utilize the opportunities that Hashem gives us. Let's continue the conversation. We're reeling from a very, very difficult set of circumstances. There's no question about that. This is a difficult time. It's a challenging time. It also is probably an opportune time, although I'm trying to figure out what are the unique opportunities that this time provides for us that no other times do, but it's a conversation we need to be having. We need to be mindful of our Yiddishkeit. We need to be doing the best we can. And then, well, and then the rest is in Hashem's hands. It's not your job or mine to put all the pieces together. However, the Mishnah also intones, Lo ben We are not allowed to simply cease and desist and move away from it. Each of us has a sacred duty, an obligation, and a responsibility to try in some way to bolster and to build Jewish communal life. Our hope and our prayer is that as we will try to strengthen our communal institutions, as we will try to come together under the roof of Hashem's house to the best of our ability. And as we will try to ensure that everybody is safe and secure, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu bless us all with good health, that Amir Tz Hashem, this awful cloud of COVID-19 
and pandemic problems be lifted from us. And that Amir Hashem, not as a panacea to a pandemic, but rather as the fruition of God's promise, the maturation of everything we've been yearning for, that we finally can put Gullus to bed and walk into a beautiful, illuminated new reality, the coming of Mashiach, the restoration of Hashem's Beis HaBechira, Hashem's chosen home, the Beis HaMikdash, the resumption of the entirety of Hashem's Torah and its sacred mitzvot as they were always designated to be, as our world finally emerges as the gorgeous, godly garden it was always meant to be with the coming of Mashiach, Bimheira, Ubi Amenu, speedily and in our days. Amen. Thank you for joining today.